Overparenting, often known as helicopter parenting, often gets a bad rap compared to supportive or authoritative parenting, but there is actually a big overlap between them. Neither is entirely correct, but knowing the difference between the two and where they might come from in your own history might help you tweak your parenting style. Uh, kia ora and welcome to Saab Johal, our uh, parenting commentator today, psychologist Saab Johal. Kia ora, Catherine. Thank you for having me. So, how do we define overparenting, helicopter parenting? As you say, everyone likes to take a punt at it, unless, of course, you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in which case, you probably argue your case. But is there a definition of it? Yeah, and it's used quite pejoratively. Uh, you know, it's describing parents who are somehow described to be overinvolved with their kids. So perhaps they're um, also seen as a bit overprotective. They tend to perhaps oversee everything that their child is involved in, sometimes even acting on behalf of their child as well, if they're doing a group activity or or whatever it is that they're doing. We don't have a clear line as to where that happens? Do you just know it when you see it? Well, I think that's the thing, is that we can often see it in other people, but perhaps we're not so aware when we're doing it ourselves. And I think the thing is that we're, we're often coming from a good place when we're trying to do this. Often we're trying to think about protecting their child from from harm. It's not that they don't trust their child. It's just that they prefer not to see their child in emotional pain, not letting them get into trouble, perhaps. Um, But it can take its toll as well, not just on the child, perhaps on perhaps interfering on some of their developmental pathways. But it's really hard work to be hyper involved, world consuming and going all in on your kids all the time. There is that, but also you use the word the parent doesn't like to see or feel what is happening Mm. to the child. The problem is the child needs to have these experiences. Yeah, that's right. So what we are trying to do here is to protect the child from having these painful experiences, but we also know that some of these experiences are necessary for them to develop coping skills or even to understand that the world is somewhere where they can explore. One of the things that we know is that if we interfere in that exploratory process a bit too much with children, we're kind of interrupting their ability to get out in the world and to learn its rules by itself, rather than having that scaffold constantly being provided by parents. Now, that's hard work for parents, but it's also denying that child the ability to kind of figure out the rules on its own as well. Every time you interfere in that exploratory play by child or older older um, young person, um, you're kind of interrupting them and setting them back to the start again. And then they have to have time to get back into that exploratory mode again. So the the less you can interfere in that exploratory mode, the better. And that's not to say you don't get involved if there's distress. You know, of course, you, you, you want to do something there. And evidence is that if you're intervening at least 50% of the time that your child is in distress, then you're being good enough. Um, but there is this kind of strive for perfectionism as well, which I think is something that perhaps also underpins this overparenting as well. Which brings us into education where this can happen as well again. As as you say, you know, um, that might be the parent who literally does the homework because they want the the higher marks, but actually that's not helping the child. It might be the parent who's always at school telling the teacher what they're doing wrong with respect to their child. (laughs) Again, there's a time and a place for intervening. But if you are constantly smoothing their way, I, I, I spoke to a dean at a university in the United States who said the parents would, you know, would be coming to university with them, would be coming and, mm. you know, sitting in the office and getting all the instructions. It's, it's time for them to do these things for themselves. 
Is that another area, education, where it can where it can become prevalent? Yeah, I think so. It's um, every aspect where there might be some kind of threat uh, to that child, either to its own performance or how that child might be seen by others, or perhaps even reflecting upon your own parenting skills as well. You know, parents can often be concerned about how they're being perceived by others and are they being a good parent. And I think that perhaps sometimes our our kind of benchmark as to what represents a good parent has been skewed at times. I just wanted to just think about and talk about what this looks like for grown children. You know, as you said, maybe university too. There was an interesting study that was done on um, what this looked like, this kind of overparenting, helicopter parenting for uh, grown kids, landing pad kids, sometimes people call them. Um, And it was interesting because the perception was by both the child, the adult child, and the adult was that they were perhaps overprotective and overinvolved. But the advice that the child was provided with in terms of, say, financial advice or economic advice or emotional advice, that intensive emotional support, financial support, that advice seemed to produce better psychological outcomes for that adult child. But the parents suffered. They find it they found it really draining to be in that position and continue to be in that position when their child was grown up. What then is supportive parenting? We're going to compare and contrast and talk about overlaps. Yeah. So this idea of the authoritative or supportive parenting style, it involves love, acceptance, but it's around setting healthy limits. So parents are intentionally involving their kids in making decisions rather than perhaps doing it for them and performing actions as well. You know, so what is appropriate? What should you be able to do by now? How can I help you do this if they seem to be struggling with it? And they're doing this in age appropriate and safe ways, but also thinking about the load that they have on their plate as well, particularly if you're trying to do this with multiple kids and they're all at different stages of development. You know, it's Sometimes the helicopter parenting style almost feels like a bit of a shortcut. You can just say, I'm just going to do the same style with everybody and this is how I'm going to do it. Whereas the supportive parenting mode takes a little bit more thought and preparation and deliberation and being in the moment to try to do things in age-appropriate ways for all your children um, who may be at different stages of development. So where do we see overlaps? So the overlaps could be, you know, In both cases, the parent is definitely trying to put uh, the child's best interests in in front of their mind. The child is being put first. Parents are definitely very involved in both kind of modes. And parents can be counted upon to be there. They're reliable. They're going to be there for their child. Where it's different is that if you're in supportive parenting style, then the child gets a lot more say in decision making and what it is that they're doing and choosing to do. Uh, and that tends to be age appropriate. And we also don't see supportive parents kind of um, wanting to completely cocoon their child from experience failure or pain. And they see them as learning opportunities rather than things that have to be avoided at all costs. Can you give us some examples of of um two different styles, same situation, and, and again, where it's not necessarily clear cut, but one will be a bit this way and one will be a bit the other. Yeah. So let's say, for example, social media. You know, this is something that's completely new in the last couple of decades in terms of trying to figure out what's the best pathway through this. Now, you may have a, an autonomy supportive kind of role. That's one style where you take a, a developmentally appropriate 
style or rationale for social media and you take that adolescence because normally an adolescent hopefully um, their perspective seriously you know what is it that they want to do what is it that they need to get from their peer relationships or you could take an autonomy restrictive approach which is providing rules in a fairly strict and harsh way without much respect for what the adolescent wants now within that there are other styles as well there are sub styles so you may take most parents are probably performing some kind of social media surveillance, keeping tabs on what their adolescents are doing, or perhaps younger. And that can take a at one end of the style is this kind of more authoritarian kind of surveillance where you're accessing your child's social media accounts and, and you've got their passwords. Or you have a non-intrusive inspection kind of style. You're browsing their profiles. Now, there are a couple of other things that you might be doing. You might be kind of a bit lost and a bit inconsistent, or you might be quite permissive. But within all of that, so what you might think is that the supportive parent might have the, the, the advantage here in this situation. What, it seems to, what seems to be happening is that the stricter approach might be better in some aspects of it, but the, the more supportive approach may be this kind of negotiation, this social media discourse, where when you run into trouble, then you start having a conversation but the general blanket rule is that you're going to be fairly strict on what's permissible uh, in terms of the media that they're accessing, but also where they're accessing it to. Is it on their phone where they've got it all the time? Or is it in a shared space within the family on an iPad or, a, or some other computer device where so people can a, see what's going on? Th there's a combination between autonomy, but within very constrict or you know defined boundaries yeah and you may change that so what the needs of a 12 year old are going to be quite different to the needs of a 15 to 16 year old so you're trying to stay on top of the social media landscape which is changing all the time uh, tiktok wasn't anywhere near as prevalent as uh, two years ago as it is now uh, but also your child's changing needs as well and the interesting thing about what's going on with their peers, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure going on there as well, you know, and the, also the what's going on at the school and their policies too. So all of this takes quite a lot of um, just gauging and being on top of things. The helicopter parenting style of being just saying, "Hey, he, th these are the rules, and these are the uh, these, these are the non-negotiables." may work in terms of some aspects of that, like you're not allowed to go on these sites or you're not allowed to have it on a phone. But then all the other things around the supportive parenting stance of really letting adolescents or tweens have a bit of a say in terms of what it is, then provides a dialogue for them to experience failure or perhaps some pain as well, but within a safe sandpit rather than being the, the whole world open to them. Interesting. Um, allied to this is relationships, of course, and especially when, say, an adolescent is at the point of, you know, um, starting to go to parties that aren't held at two in the afternoon with jelly beans, right? Yeah. And again, uh, is there a temptation to try and control every aspect of a relationship, I don't know, to turn up and berate a kid who said something that hurt your kid mm -hmm. um, or berate their parents? Again, you, you, you want to protect them against very bad things happening, but mm. they've also got to learn to navigate this stuff mm. and to communicate how they're feeling and to develop some skills for um, managing their own relationships. Could you give us an example out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So you may, for some of the big things, they may be quite acute 
things that the the child is trying to deal with, where you may have to get more involved if it's causing you know real shock or real pain, physical or abusive kind of like pain or shock. Then yes, you may get more involved, and I wouldn't say that that's a helicopter parenting style. I would say that you are there. You've got your child's best interests in mind. You're reliable, uh, and this is a non-negotiable. You know, your child can't be hurt in that way. For the other stuff. I think perhaps taking a little bit more of a wider time frame might be more uh, interesting and might be more helpful. So the little bumps that people come across in life, allowing them to kind of sit with that for a while, allowing them to perhaps explore what other situations that they've been in in their lives where they can apply that coping skill or apply that learning or what happened in a previous relationship to this new relationship and then the, ch- the the parent acting is a little bit of a coach rather than going in there, going in there and sorting it out for <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, I mean that's the key to it, isn't it? Uh, yes, you will be hurting if they're hurting or if they're struggling um, with something that's going on, um, but you you want to coach them into being able to resolve the situation rather than fly on in there like the police force and say, you know, don't you talk to my kid like that, mm. or you know. And also, to be blunt, sometimes the way the stories are relayed and not always the way things happen. Many teachers will tell you this. You know, and a parent goes marching in to deal with a with a um, situation with a with a teacher and finally we learn it wasn't quite as explained. Yes. Um we're just picking generalities. But the principle is what? That as much as possible you want them to navigate and to learn to navigate and to find the answers. Yeah, and I think what you say there is sometimes the truth lies in between all the different accounts that you hear, but also your own account. What are you bringing to this relationship with your child? What is it in your previous history that are your hot buttons? And when your child hits your hot button with something that's going on in their life, then what is the response that you wished had happened to you or for you that you feel like you can provide for your child and really being able to take a little bit of a step back and say, is that the best thing in the long run for my child's development for me to go in and do that? Now, it may be and it may not be, but I think having a little bit of perspective and thinking about what is it that happened in your own history of being parented that you are either wanting to repair or perhaps are in danger of repeating, that might not be helpful for your child in that situation. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Uh, You know, is it just innate that when people begin to parent, they inevitably fall back on the way they were parented? They can read all the books they like, they can become experts on this and that, all the YouTube stuff, but we're wired to revert, if we're not careful, to um, to the way um, it happened for us, and hopefully it happened well, right? So could you be a bit more specific about what you need to be aware of in this particular area? Mm. So let's say, for example, um, you've had a traumatic birth, or perhaps you've had some kind of traumatic event, or perhaps you've lost a child before you, you came to term in your pregnancy. When you are in that kind of a situation, then when you've got a new child and when you're watching it grow up, um, you're really acute of the possible loss that may take place. So in that case, hypervigilance can tend to take over. You're really vigilant for threat around that child, around your relationship with that child, and you're trying to protect them and, and cocoon them. So that's one way in which overparenting, this helicopter parenting, you're trying to deal with the discomfort of the thought that something could happen to your child. And that's a way of soothing yourself rather than necessarily being a parenting style that you're acutely or consciously aware of. 
So protecting them from any pain then becomes a necessity because if you don't protect them from pain, then all this stuff around loss, which although it's a very, very small likelihood of that happening now that your child is here, it's always a present threat because of your personal history. Now, it may be something else that happened when you were a child. Again, this is perhaps unconscious acting out of some of your own history around perhaps experiencing bullying or the sorts of key phrases that you might hear that one child has said to another child echo something that you have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. then suddenly you're transported back in time into your own feelings of being that 12-year-old, feeling vulnerable. And perhaps, yes, your parent did get involved, but it didn't stop you from feeling alone. So part of it is around trying to connect with your child, letting them know that they are feeling supported. But how can you do that without taking over for them and helping them to negotiate a situation which they're probably going to come across later on in life again? So without completely immobilizing them. The other aspect of this, I think, that we haven't talked about yet is this idea of children becoming um, kind of feeling like there's no consequences to this behavior. Overprotective behavior can often feel like it's legitimizing behavior that isn't acceptable by that child. So you can get cases where children perhaps feel like there's no consequences to their action because my child, my parent will pretty much accept anything that I do, whether it causes pain to others or not. So the other side of the coin is that helicopter parents can sometimes forgive or look over Uh, behavior that that child is performing in school or with their friends that really is a no-no and the child is not learning that this is unacceptable behavior. Because they don't want to confront it because their starting point often is my child will be in the right or whatever. Um, And my child is precious and I don't want to cause them pain and if Uh I criticize them then that's painful for them. The idea of tweaking your parenting style because again we've got to work with what we've got. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Um, Can't completely reinvent whatever we got when we were young. So if you're wanting to tweak it, what are some practical suggestions? I think you just made some, didn't you? It's just like have this combination of boundaries but build some freedom within the boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. The whole point of when you're having a secure attachment with your child is that they need a caregiver and the caregiver is there. So most of the time you're there to help them when they're in distress, to provide some coaching when it's going well, when it's not going so well, but you're not doing everything for them. You're also providing them with feedback around consequences when things are not going so well for them and they're perhaps responding in ways that are hurtful to others. So what we want to do is to really be conscious around how much we're doing for our children, how much we're perhaps protecting them from experiencing pain or harm, but also where there is real pain or harm out there in the environment and those protections can provide a safe sandpit for them to be able to explore what the world looks like. Sab, thank you. Sab Johal.